Uh, Let me invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, uh, to turn to John uh, chapter 8 as we continue uh, looking at this uh, series of messages called Come and and See. Uh, We are... Uh, The Gospel of John has the theme, uh, come and see, so that you would believe in Jesus. John, at the end of his uh, writing, says, I want you to believe, and that by believing, you would have eternal life. And in order for us to believe, we need to come and see who Jesus is. Uh, We have already seen Jesus to be the bread of life. We've already seen that he is the living water that can quench our thirst. He has claimed authority over the temple. If you think way back when he cleansed the temple and said, this is my father's house. He's claimed authority over the Sabbath when he healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. Where he says that I and the father are are one. John the Baptist has proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as we look at this passage in John chapter 8, that will be on full display this morning. What Jesus does here in John chapter 8 is an absolute amazing thing. Because he demonstrates to us that he is the judge of all creation. And then he demonstrates to us that as the judge, he is full of grace, he is full of love, and he is full of mercy. Uh, I titled it Jesus the Judge. Early in the week, I thought about calling it Judge Jesus, but I was afraid some of you might start thinking about Judge Judy. And... Judy and Jesus are different, right? It's a little bit different. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8. Now, your Bible might have this or a little footnote. It may not even be in the copy of your Bible. There is some questions about whether or not this particular story happened at this particular time in the Gospel of John or if it was added later. You know what? We're not going to get into that because I know that God is faithful and God has given us in his word exactly what he wants us to have. Uh, While there is debate as to whether or not this passage should go right here in John's gospel, there is no debate that it is a historical event that really happened. Um, And so I say that just because your Bible, you open it up and you might see the little footnote or you might see what mine says, the earliest manuscripts do not include this. This is the word of God, and God has given it to us to communicate a very, very important truth. And I honestly believe it fits perfectly where it is, because it's right after the festival of booths. And we spent a lot of time in John chapter 7. They are ending this festival of booths. Jesus has remained in Jerusalem to continue to teach to the people that are left. He is getting ready to proclaim himself to be the light of the world, which is what we'll look at next week. It is fitting that this passage fits exactly between those two events. So here's what is going on. Uh, We'll actually start in the end of chapter 7 and verse 53. Then each one went to his home, 
that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Uh, Now, just side note, Jesus is probably going to stay at the home of his friends who live on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Okay, so he's he's probably not camping. If you can read the other Gospels and it says that he was going to uh, stay with his friends and Uh, And so he's probably going to kind of the other side of the Mount of Olives. He's staying in a house. He's hanging out. But each day, verse 2, at dawn, each day he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach. This just in and of itself is a, a sermon. Jesus had made such an impact during the festival of booths that all the people or a large number of people are still coming to see Jesus. They're coming to Jesus to hear and listen to him teach. They're not coming to to get a, a free gift or a free cup of coffee. They're coming simply to hang on every last word that Jesus is teaching. Now, there's nothing wrong with a free gift or a free cup of coffee. If anybody wants to ever bring me a free cup of coffee, it is greatly welcomed and appreciated, right? So... But, but, but organize it. I don't want like six free cups of coffee on my desk in the morning. All right. So you get together. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But they're coming to hang on every single word of Jesus. And in the midst of this teaching, picture it in your head. Crowds of people. Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching. What's he teaching? I don't know. Probably about the kingdom of God. He talked a lot about the kingdom of God. He's probably you know, saying some parables. He's probably talking about love God, love people. He's teaching a lot of things. And you can imagine the scene. These uh, religious elites start to make a little ruckus. And they're like, get out of the way, get out of the way. They're pushing their way through the crowds to get to Jesus. Why? We'll look at verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Center, not center. Said that wrong. The center of the crowd. Verse four. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of in the law of Moses, commanded him. Uh, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now I need you to understand a little bit of the context. And I need you to understand that this really at this point in this story has nothing to do with this woman, okay? Uh, That word caught means that, yes, she was absolutely caught red-handed. It's kind of like in the middle of the night when I'm not supposed to be eating a cookie out of the cookie jar and Jennifer walks in and sees me getting a cookie. What am I talking about? I'm eating a pack of Oreos and a cup of milk, (laughs) right? Yeah, that's being caught red-handed, Okay? And there's nothing I can do. There's no defense. I am guilty. I've got the crumbs on my face. I've got the milk. I've got the cookies. Okay? She has been caught in adultery, in the physical act of committing adultery. The law of Moses and the way it was set up is since this is a capital crime, and it is, it is a crime that demands execution, you have to have two witnesses, not one, two witnesses that see the physical act taking place. It can't just be, well, I saw Sally Sue holding Tommy John's, oh, that's a, that's a baseball, Tom, Tommy John, and they were holding hands walking into a restaurant. That's not going to cut it, okay? 
It can't be, well, I saw that girl talking to this boy by themselves in the alley. No. They have to see the act of adultery taking place because, I mean, it's a very strict set of rules to prove this offense. And by the way, both witnesses have to match exactly. If there is a small detail different, they cannot convict her of this crime. The, the bar is set really, really high. And so, yes, they have caught her in the act of adultery. Uh, that word is also indicating that she is a woman who is a habitual adulterer. So they knew that she would be committing the act. And then John tells us that the scribes are the ones bringing her. Now, that's important because the scribes, this is the only time you see it in John's gospel, the scribes are the religious experts. Uh, we, we can't say, I, I've been calling them lawyers, but they're not really lawyers. They are the lawyers, they're the judges, they're the jury. When it comes to the law of Moses, the scribes are the last word. So it's important with a crime this heinous that the scribes, the experts of the law, are there making the accusations. And they're the ones who can pass judgment on her for breaking the law. So they're making sure everything is in order. And the scribes are saying, hey, Jesus, we got her red-handed. We got her. This woman standing here, maybe she's got clothes on, maybe she doesn't, I don't know. But her shame, her guilt, just this, this how, think about this. They've dragged this woman to a crowd of people in her shame. Her sin is absolutely exposed. And, it, it, and listen, there's a lot here. I mean, the first thing I'll tell you is all of our sin will be exposed to Jesus. You need to understand that. What she's been trying to do in secret has been exposed. What we try to do in secret, our sins will be exposed. We can't hide it from God. And while that's an important point, and it's an important point of application for us to understand, again, this woman's crime is not the point of the story, at least here. Because they look at Jesus and they say, the law of Moses commanded us to stone her. And then verse 6, they ask this to trap him in order that they may have evidence to accuse him. See, Jesus is now faced with two very bad possibilities. He can either say she's not guilty, which means, or it's not the right phrasing. He can either disregard the law of Moses, which is really what they want him to do, where they can say, well, he, now he's saying that Moses' law doesn't matter. The scribes want him to uh, lower or diminish or say something that's going to make it sound like he doesn't care what the law says. The other option is that he condemns her. That he says, hey, you know what? You got her. The Bible says the word says execute her. You got her. Well, now we have a bigger problem because the Romans do not let the Jews do that. The Roman government at this time does not let the Jews have authority over execution. And so either way, the scribes are like, we got him. We've been trying to kill him for a year and a half. Now we got him. He's either going to 
become irrelevant by talking bad about the law of Moses or the Romans are going to kill him because he's going to tell us to kill this woman. So it's a trap. It is a trap. Now, I do want to spend a few, t- a few minutes talking about what the law of Moses actually says. I think that would be very important for us to understand. Leviticus 20.10. Now, listen very carefully and notice if you see what's missing in Jesus' story here. Okay? Leviticus 20.10. If a man commits adultery with another woman's wife... With the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Did you catch it? Deuteronomy 22, 22, 34. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man and who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil of Israel. Again, this is Deuteronomy 22. Uh, Now this is verse 23. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, he or you shall take both of them to the gate of the town, stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, must be purged, the evil from among you. That's the law that these Pharisees and scribes are talking about. And my question is, where's the man? Where's the man? But again, it's not about adultery. It's not about the woman. It's all about the trial of Jesus. And Jesus is going to take this and turn it around completely. Verse 7, or start at the end of verse 6. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. By the way, do you not love what Jesus did? He lowered himself to be with this woman. And he started writing on the ground. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. This is a passage of scripture that has perplexed so many. When we read it, we like to ask the question, what did he write? What's he writing? Is he writing down the names of these people and all of their sins? Because he's Jesus, he knows everything. Is he writing down the Ten Commandments? Is he drawing pictures of a dog? What's he doing? Well, listen to me very carefully. It doesn't matter what he's writing on the ground. If it mattered, we would know. The symbolism of this passage, what I've been telling you for weeks, is there are echoes of Exodus throughout the Gospel of John. This is another one, because the focus of the passage of this text, the the way it is constructed in the original language, the focus is on the writing utensil, not the words being written. The focus is on the fact Jesus took his finger and started writing. The finger is what John wants us to see and wants us to understand. Because in Exodus 31, 18, uh, uh, Moses writes this for us. He says, when he finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. 
Jesus is making a connection with his finger to the very finger of God that wrote the law of Moses. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're focused on Moses. Moses wrote the law. But Jesus says, God wrote the law with his finger. And now I'm writing with my finger. This simple act, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who wrote the law that you are trying to convict this woman of breaking. I'm the one who knows what God meant when he wrote it because me being fully God wrote it myself. We've already seen that in John 1.18. He is the agent of creation. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God and God wrote the law. And what Jesus is doing in this simple act, he's saying, I am the only one who can judge this woman because I'm the one who knows what the law means because I wrote it. I wrote it. And then he stands up. He says, let he who casts the first, or let he who has no sin cast the first stone. He says, you guys can't judge this because you're sinful. There's not a person standing in that crowd who hasn't committed a sin. The Pharisees, they try really hard to be perfect, but they're not. And Jesus says, do it. If you think you're perfect, throw it. And then he starts writing again. Maybe he is writing the Ten Commandments. Maybe he is writing the things that those people have broken. I don't know. And so one by one they leave, they drop their stones. Starting with the older men, they walk away. And look at verse 10. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And she responds, no one, Lord. Now watch this. Neither do I condemn you. The one who wrote the law, the one, by the way, Jesus could have cast that stone because he was sinless. He was perfect. He had the right to execute her based on his own words. He had the right to pass judgment and sentence her to death. But he says, neither do I condemn you. This is a picture of God's love. It is a picture of God's grace. And it's a picture of God's mercy. She deserved death. She did. They called her red-handed. We can't make excuses for her. She's a sinner. They all are. She deserves to die. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you. The Apostle Paul struggled with sin for much of his life. In, verse, uh, in chapter 7 of Romans, the Apostle Paul, at the end of it, he talks about what a wretched man he is. The Apostle Paul talks about not being able to really do what he wants to do. He does the things he knows he shouldn't do. 
This is the Apostle Paul, the Christian, who struggles with sin. And in Romans 8, he says this, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those, don't miss that, for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of death. I want you to put yourself in this woman's shoes. I mean, she's trapped. And all of a sudden, the Son of God, the Lamb of God says, you're free. You're free. This condemnation that you've been carrying around, this bondage that you've been burdened with, this life of sin that you've been living, I'm setting you free. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the message that we are to present to the world. As Christians. Now we can be the scribes and the Pharisees. Lord knows church history is filled with churches and people who have decided to be Pharisees and scribes. Right? I mean, we look at people and say, they're not Christian. Or they don't deserve to be Christians. People like Jeffrey Dahmer. uh, The terrorist. Osama bin Laden. We look at them. We don't... Our thoughts when they commit heinous crimes is that they should burn in hell. And maybe they are. If they never repented and turned to Jesus, I promise you they are. But Jesus would look at him and say, my heart breaks for the sinner. And I want to set them free. I want to forgive them. I do not want anyone to perish, so the, God, the Bible says about God. Now, people choose to reject that truth all the time. And there are eternal consequences for that. And we don't know whether or not this woman made a decision. It doesn't say that. We don't know. We just know that it was offered. That Jesus says, I do not condemn you. But I need you to also see this. Because if it stopped there, that would be good. But it's not. There's a command. It says, go from now on and do not sin anymore that is a very important part of the story the apostle paul in romans chapter 6 he writes it this way he says what should we say should we continue to sin so that grace may be multiplied what what paul is saying hey should we just you know i believe in jesus can i just keep living my life and sinning and doing the things that go against god's word and by doing that god's grace is multiplied no 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 Paul says, absolutely not. How can we who die to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? As good as the gospel is, and as amazing as it is, and it is amazing, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but there is a command that says, go from now, go from now on and do not sin. Listen, I'm going to give you some words. I I use this phrase all the time. Christians, I'll just put it this way. People who are actively, willfully, knowingly, and continuously living in sin. I want you to catch all those words. Actively, 
willfully, knowingly, continuously living in sin, they're going to need to go sit at the feet of Jesus because they may not be Christians. It's not for me to judge, and I will not judge. But I know this, Jesus says, go and sin no more. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. We need to understand, I am an imperfect person. And Pastor Phelps talked a little bit about this last week. We're going to mess up. I've been a Panther fan since 1995. I have said things and thrown things and done things that are sinful. Okay? The Braves. Yesterday, I had sinful thoughts. But they were not actively, willfully, okay, maybe knowingly. But listen, the point's still the same. I'm convicted when I sin. When I mess up, when I make a mistake, the Spirit of God pours conviction upon me, and I have to confess. So Christians, when we mess up, and we're going to mess up, we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, and we confess our sins, and we're, we know that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But someone who willfully, continuously, knowingly goes through these and actively sins, they're not convicted. Are they Christian? If this woman would get up from the ground, if she would stand up and go right back to the house of the man she left, what's changed? Nothing. Jesus says, go and sin no more. The gift of salvation is a free gift that God wants you to receive. Anyone can receive it. Anyone can make the decision to follow Jesus. But Jesus is not just a savior. He's our Lord. He's our Lord. And we have to do what the Lord tells us to do. And for you and for me, every day it's a struggle. Every day we're tempted to sin. Somebody brought a, we served at the homeless shelter last night. And somebody brought a plate of chicken wings out. And they sit there for like 20 minutes. And I really wanted a chicken wing. <laughs> I was even asking Jeremy. I said, hey, who's these chicken wings for? I really wanted to. I was tempted with them chicken wings. But I didn't. I'm glad because it was actually for one of the homeless people. It would have been bad if I would have ate that guy's chicken wings. <laughs> Listen, that, I know that's a little funny, but that's temptation. Every day there are circumstances in our life that we struggle with, we're tempted with. Maybe it's a sexual sin. Maybe it's our anger. Maybe it's a gossip. Every day we are faced with temptations. Christian, I want you to listen to me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, go and sin no more. You have the power living inside of you to overcome and say no to those temptations. And every day you should strive to rely on the Holy Spirit to say, no, I will not give in. But when you do, know that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. You are forgiven. The last point of application that I want to leave you with is, is this. As a church, as a church, we can either be scribes and Pharisees 
or we can be like Jesus. What will we be? Are we going to be people who try to pass judgment on people who don't talk like us, act like us, drink the things we drink, dress the way we dress? Or are we going to try to show people the love of Christ? Now, we can't save anybody, but we can point them to the Savior. Not the way the scribes pointed this woman to the Savior, but you know what I'm talking about. It's important for us always to remember what Luke 15 1 and 2 says, where all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus welcomes sinners to the table. Church, do we welcome sinners? Do we welcome sinners in order to tell them how great and awesome Jesus is? I'll leave you with that question to ponder this week. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this story. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that when we are exposed, that you forgive. I thank you, Father, that the law of Moses does condemn us, but that the Son of God forgives us. Father, it is my prayer that we would strive to live for you, that we would strive to sin no more and that you would help us to do that, that we would be committed to your word, following your teachings. And Father, I pray for those who have never made a decision to follow you. I pray for those who are still trapped in their sin, in their bondage, in, their, uh, in the slavery of sin. Father, set them free. Father, Put it on their hearts to make a decision to follow you. Draw them to you and forgive them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.